So we're going to move on to Matthew 25. If you have access to a green Bible or smartphone or whatever, um, I see the glow of an iPad over there. Uh, whatever you want to bring up scripture with will work. Um, the green Bibles are on the uh, armrests. Uh, feel free to grab one, turn to Matthew 25. We are into this section now, and it, it is fairly interesting and saucy. Um, Jesus is toward the end of his ministry, and he only has a few days left before the crucifixion. Things are amping up. He has you know, a limited amount of time left with his followers. And he turns toward uh, what we would consider to be like apocalyptic language. He's talking a lot about judgment and heaven and hell and and apocalypse, the end of the world. And so we're going to spend a few weeks talking through those things, going to kind of just go at our own pace. And I don't know whether it'll be three weeks or four weeks or whatever, but we'll really start started last week. Uh, but but you get this this. What I think is happening is Jesus knows humanity pretty well, and he knows our tendency to take as much as we can. And and so the the old idiom, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Um, Jesus is going to be off-site for a little bit. And he knows our tendency to push the limits when the authority figure is off-site. If you have kept an eye on the news, you know that the most important thing for us Americans, while embassies are being bombed and the world is falling apart, we have to deal with replacement refs. Um, you know, the real top story is there are these replacement officials and, and, and they're, they're screwing up our NFL games <coughs> and calling touchdowns instead of interceptions and, and and finally on thursday we can all rest again because we have our regular refs back in the nfl uh but you listen to the to the uh, the commentators former players things like that and, and if you if you follow the story at all uh, so so these replacement officials that worked at like you know petco and and places like that that were called up to to ref these games they're, they're calling like 240 yards of penalties every game. And, and it's not necessarily unwarranted. It's just the games were chaotic. And some of the players would say things like, well, we just chaos broke loose because we just weren't sure what fouls were. You know, please, you've you played enough football. You know the rules. The substitute teacher takes the brunt of this mob mentality that can happen. You know, it's not always the substitute's fault when a whole class just decides the teacher's out, so we're going to be crazy. And what the, what the analyst said is that you have this concept of, of there's no respect for the authority here, so players are just doing whatever. And there's a mob mentality out there on the field. All of that to say, s- strong evidence, including the NFL, that when authority figures are off-site, people will try to get away with as much as they can, and chaos can ensue. So Jesus knows that he will no longer be with his followers directly and personally like he has been, and he's calling us to this day of judgment. Now, when we look into this material over the next few weeks, I do want to tell you this. There are certain things in Scripture that are very, very clear. 
For instance, you read all the biblical accounts, it's clear that Jesus rose from the dead. As far as the Bible is concerned, Jesus rose from the dead. There are no ifs, ands, buts, maybes. You can look to the Greek, you can look to the Hebrew, you can go back to the... I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. There are other things like heaven, hell, apocalypse, second coming, where you can see multiple views in Scripture as to what that might mean. God is not as clear. There are possibilities. And this is frustrating to the Western, modern, American mind because we want closure. We want to know what's the thing, how's it going to happen, what's it going to look like, and God doesn't give us that clarity. And so we say, God, I want clarity. And God says, why? Well, I want to know whether or not I agree with what you're going to do. And God says, oh, that doesn't matter whether you agree or not. So we don't get that kind of closure. All right, let's turn to Matthew 25. And we're going to start, it'll be a different Bible. My notes aren't in here, but that's all right. Uh, let's start at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now what we have here is, first of all, an assurance that all nations, everybody who has ever lived, in a moment's time will be separated. And, and I, I, I like what Jesus does here. When you, when you think about when he actually spoke these words, um, you see this individual standing with a handful of people uh, the Fox News analysts would be saying that his campaign is falling apart. Um, I mean, he has pressure from all sides. Uh, the Jewish leaders are against him. The Roman government is kind of getting word that there's this guy. A lot of people have walked away. And yet now he's putting himself as the glorious throne, the one who sits on the throne and judges the nations. But it's a moment where Jesus uh, paints a different picture because Jesus was fine with the lowly side of life. So, I mean, you know, he's spent all day in the Israeli terrain. He stinks. He's sweaty. His robe is dirty. His sandals are cracked. See, we have this vision uh, from, you know, our movies and stuff of the clean cut, I can tell you from being there in Israel in the 100-degree weather, I was only out in the stuff for three hours, and I was ready to get back in the bus. This guy was out there all day. This was, you know, and he was fine to subject himself to that. But here's a moment when he says, there will be a day when it's no more sandals and no more sweaty robe when he's the glorious king on the glorious throne judging the nations. And people are separated out. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? <coughs> now, this is a fair question because many of the people that stand before God on that day will have never seen Jesus in the flesh. This could be somebody from you know, 1200 AD and Jesus says, you did this for me and you, know, you got the wrong guy. I, I mean, I'll take credit for it, but I never was here when you were here. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, not you believed the right things or you thought the right things or you cared, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Now, those six things Jesus repeats four different times here. He categorizes that. Talks about hungry, thirsty, uh, without clothes, a stranger, sick, and in prison. Those six things he calls out specifically four different times. He says, you did nothing, and, and, and they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, needing clothes, sick, prison, uh, and did not? So there we see that list again of those six things. And he replies, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do, it's about doing, it's about action, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Now, this is not the main point here, but I want to spend some time talking about this. Uh, then they will go away to eternal punishment. <clears throat> when we talk about apocalypse, when we talk about the end of the world and judgment, heaven and hell are a part of the equation, so we're going to see this in the coming weeks. There's also been a lot in, in the mainstream in terms of discussions and things about heaven and hell and specifically hell and what the bible says about hell there have been a lot of books written a lot of articles written blogs whatnot now the bible doesn't have tons to say about hell and there are various possibilities and and so uh, a, a few years ago a couple years ago when all this was was kind of surfacing in in, in christian writing and thought i decided i'm going to go back to the bible and I'm going to figure out what it clearly says about hell so that I have the right opinion. And I can tell you that the more I study, the less I'm convinced that I know for sure. Now, um, I don't talk a lot about our movement as a, like our denominate. We're, you know, we're, we're an independent church. We're a part of a brotherhood. And I don't talk a lot about that. But, but, so, so we're a part of the Restoration Movement, a group of churches that are like-minded. There's no organization, hierarchy, anything like that. It's basically a group of churches that have agreed on a few basic 
um, understandings. And one of those understandings is that we believe the Bible is true, but we believe that you as an individual uh, have the right and responsibility to search Scripture to decide what you believe it truly says. So we don't have a, like a list of things that you have to believe to be a part of Polaris. You know, this, 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 this. It's, it's basically, we believe Scripture's true. And you have your right to read Scripture and discern what it clearly teaches. And like I said, there are plenty of things that the Bible clearly, Jesus rose from the dead, things like that. Then there's other things like eternal punishment that we have to kind of decide uh, what are the issues surrounding it? What does the Bible really say? And so I just want to, as we get into this apocalyptic literature, I want to take a Reader's Digest. Hell. I think that we could say that the Bible presents three basic views of hell, and the best way that I can say this is, whatever you want to find, you will find. In other words, when you hear these three views and you study these three views, whichever one you kind of lock on to, you're going to say, oh, there's evidence for that view right there. That's why there are three views, because I think there are three different ways that you can land. Now, one of which uh, is the, 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 play, the, the way that most translations translate that, which you have to take this into consideration. Bible scholars, get in a room and decide, this is the way it should be translated, eternal punishment. So the word for eternity is the Greek word that has the, 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 the root word eon in it. It's the word that we get our English word eon from, meaning time frame, usually long time frame. It can be translated season or age or eon or everlasting. <clears throat> That's the gamut. You have to decide what category. The word for punishment was an agricultural word. And it was used with the idea of trimming or pruning. It can be translated cut off. It can be translated prune. It can be translated mutilate or destroy. And so one very possible translation for what Jesus says there is, you're going to stand before God, and there are going to be a group of people that are brought into eternal life based on how they treated people, how they responded to the message of Jesus. And then there are going to be another group of people that are, that are ushered into eternal punishment. So one of the views is eternal conscious hell, where you are tormented, punished, the wrath of God is poured out on you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Ten billion years from now, you are just getting started with enduring the wrath of God. And so we have to take that possibility very, very seriously. And there are many people who study all of Scripture and say this is clearly what God is pointing to. Now there's another potential way to translate that, and it is a once and for all severing. There are some people <clears throat> who align with the doctrine called annihilationism. And this says that at one time God is going to destroy your soul. You will officially perish. You will cease to exist. And so they would look at this and they would say, this should be translated for a once and for all clipping. In other words, just like you sever, you prune that rose bush, those branches are done and gone. They don't, they wither away, they're gone. It's, they'll never again be with the rose bush, they're done. 
And if you decide that you really want to believe in annihilationism and that that's the way it is, you're going to read Scripture and you're going to find evidence for that that you can point out. But there's also a third way that that can be translated. <clears throat> it can be translated accurately, depart from me for a season or an age of pruning, an age of refinement. And so some people believe that God is going to reconcile everything and everybody. And that whatever we experience next, if we die apart from a life centered in Jesus, that there is an intense refinement period that we endure. And I can tell you that, you know, studying all these things, um, I would not be comfortable staking my eternity on which view is the right view. We're going to find out someday. And um, ultimately, the greater point is what we do with Jesus. And ultimately, whichever of those three things comes to pass is nothing that we want to be a part of. I mean, when you think about standing before Jesus, one day we are going to stand before Jesus, we are going to realize that He paid the price for our sins, that He loves us, Everything's going to make sense, and we're going to be poised to experience an eternity in that state of life. But a group of people are either going to be ushered away into eternal conscious torment or into the complete destruction and annihilation of the soul or an intense period of refinement where they're punished and corrected by God. I don't want any of those. And so what God says is, there's going to be a time of this, but there's a way to avoid this. And even, you know, you can approach it as we're trying to avoid hell, but really I, I'd like to approach it as I'd rather my life be useful just because I want it to be useful. I mean, I don't want to stand before God and, 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 and hear, well, you did the bare minimum or what. I mean, I want a useful life. That, 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 that brings something of value, that adds something. So, so I guess takeaway here, the one clear thing that we see is that there will be a judgment day. There will be a day when you stand before God and when I stand before God and give an account. And that account has to do with how we responded to Jesus. Not did we believe the right things, but did we do the right things. And so that's the second clear thing that we get from this. And that is, how we respond to people is how we respond to Jesus. How we treat other people in need, Jesus takes that personally. So we learned in Matthew 18 a while back that Jesus says, you know, how you treat children is how you treat me. He says, if you welcome children, you welcome me. If you mess with kids, you mess with me. If you mistreat a child, it would be better for you to have a millstone, which is like a giant um, cement or concrete or whatever it is, because I got the curs in here who deal in the kind. I never get it right. Cement or concrete, giant wheel, put around your neck, thrown into the sea. That's not a good day. Jesus says, how you treat children, if you mistreat them, it would be better for you to have a millstone around your neck and thrown into the sea than deal with the wrath of God. So we know that children are in the category of you got to get your treatment of children right. But now we see the sick, the imprisoned, 
the hungry, those without clothes, those without food, strangers. How we treat people is how we treat Jesus directly. And our judgment centers on getting that right. Take a look at this video quick. isn't a radical message. We're talking about radically requiring Christians to be 1% more generous. I mean, that's what you're talking about. You get into financial terms here. There's nothing radical being asked of Christians. This is a setting where uh, he actually spoke this incredible, powerful teaching in Matthew chapter 25 about the kingdom of heaven. He says, and so when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, I mean, the sky is split open. We're told that all the nations of the earth are going to gather before him. Then the king is going to separate one from the other. And when this huge process is done, then the king is going to say, now this is what this was all about. It's what the prophets have talked about. It's how I lived my life. It is what my scriptures are filled with, 2,000 verses about this. It should come as no surprise. This is about the poor, how extremely important they are to me. And he will have separated them by what, not what did you think, not what did you pray about, what were you concerned about, but what did you actually do? And so this powerful passage was taught on this location in this beautiful scene. And the bottom line message is, the poor really, really matter to me. And those of us who are followers of Christ simply don't have the option when it comes to the poor of doing nothing. So what the, the, the first guy was basically saying that it's just a statistical fact that, that there is enough um, resources in uh, North American Christians' hands right now that 1% of those resources would eradicate uh, global poverty. Um, that's, that's just a statistical fact. And so it, I, what he's saying is, well within our grasp is the ability to do something very real about poverty. Are we going to do it? And I think that's the whole message that Jesus brings is there, there are the poor, there are those in need, and we have the resources change the situation and are, are we going to do it so so we live with this with this word from god it's as though god himself has come to us in a dream and and spoken directly to us and said you know you insert your name um i want you to know that for the rest of your life you're going to be judged on one thing how are you responding to those in need um and and so and, and you also get this thing in scripture where we're not saved by faith, or I'm sorry, we're not saved by works. Don't put that on the brochure. We're, we're not saved by, that's <laughs> an election season. That can be a scary thing to speak out loud. Um, we're not saved by works. It's about faith. And so what God must see is, is our faith really is on display by how we respond to those in need. Um, and there are people in need everywhere. And you really start to realize when you try to live out Isaiah 58 and you try to live out Matthew 25, how much need there is. And you simply can't say yes to everybody. 
and it can be overwhelming and exasperating the amount of need versus the time you have. But the point is what we cannot do is throw our hands up and do nothing. We simply can't do nothing because Jesus says what you did not do for them, you did not do for me. When you ignored them, you ignored me. And you start to go through your life like that and you start to think how I treat her is how I treat Jesus. And it can be everybody from that annoying lunchroom volunteer to that boss you can't stand to the, the beggar after the Browns game. Um, and you can't meet all those needs. But to do nothing constantly is to establish a pattern that has some pretty severe consequences. So one, one more one more thing, let me talk about one more thing here in this passage, and then we'll, we'll um, close with some prayer. He talks about heaven and he talks about hell, and if we define heaven as the presence of God, the awareness of our image of God, having our needs met, um, being uplifted and encouraged, and, 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 and that's heaven, and it starts now, Jesus says. He talks about the kingdom of heaven coming now, and it comes when we bring it. It comes when we live out his lifestyle and it starts now and it never ends. And if we live a life where we're engaging in bringing heaven, like we see people in need, we see people who don't recognize their value, who don't have their basic needs met, who aren't feeling the connection with God, and we do something about it, because that's what Jesus is really talking about. It's about bringing heaven as much as we can to those situations. And we have a life of doing something about it. And then we stand before God and, and, and Jesus says, well done, you brought heaven. You chose heaven. And now you continue on for eternity. But we could say that hell is the opposite of that. Hell is when our resources aren't met. Hell is when someone doesn't feel connected with God. When they're separated from God when they don't know their value as a human being. And as human beings, we have the very real ability to enable hell by doing nothing. Somebody's living in that kind of hell of separation from God. It could be your neighbor. It could be somebody across the world. And we can do nothing about it. And we've enabled hell. Or worse, we can bring it in how we treat people. We can make people feel like garbage. We can cause people by our actions to be distanced from God in His ways. We can oppress people in very real ways. So we can enable or we can bring hell. And it's as if Jesus says, well, you started right here on earth. You chose to embrace hell. And now that continues on for whatever's next. Jesus seems to say in a very real way, we latch on with this life to a life of heaven or to a life of hell. We choose it by how we treat people. And so it's up to us to start each day saying, today I choose heaven and I am going to be a bringer of heaven. And that can start today and it never ends. And it all has to do with how we respond to Jesus. I will right, we'll continue more next week. I um, want to have some prayer time now and I just want to challenge you to think through uh, who's in your life right now that needs you to bring heaven? Um, and how can you do that? 
So if you have anything that you need to pray for, uh, any kind of medical, anything, any family, any job, any anything, I'll be up here and just come on up during this song like while we're singing and, and we'll pray together. Um, would you stand? And let's pray. <clears throat> God, it is our desire to live a life pleasing to you, to embrace heaven. Thank you for bringing heaven into this world. You, you saw us living apart from you, and you did something about it. You came, you died, you paid the price, and you brought heaven to the earth. And we long for the day that we will be with you forever and all of the junk in this world is gone and we know that you long for that day as well. But until then, I pray that we would do all we can to bring heaven here so that everybody can experience uh, life with you that will never end.